please stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Doug and Jesse King. Welcome, everybody. This has been one of those weeks, I'm afraid. We've had, not only was the shooting last week in Orlando, but there's things going on in, in um, Germany. Germany. And we've had quite a bit of discussion about guns and, and what's going to happen. I remember last Sunday, Jesse, you were trying to scare the wits out of me, saying that the president had banned all assault weapons by executive order on, okay, on Father's off, Day. I wouldn't put it past him because he signs executive orders on things he shouldn't be signing executive orders on. Mm-hmm. But secondly, the the websites that publish stuff like that should just be shut down. Shame on them. I can't believe the onion fooled me like that. No, it wasn't on the onion, but but seriously, it was on. It like it looked like the NBC affiliate, but it, it ended up being that their logo was a little more oval than the real NBC. Mm-hmm. So it was a fake NBC affiliate. Well, shame uh, on them. My my response was, I just don't care anymore, and that's really where I was with the whole thing. You're like, I've got everything I want. Well, that's that's what I always would was hearing back. Do you remember the '94 assault weapons ban when that was going into effect? There, when I would go to the gun shows, that's what I would hear. Everyone would say, "I already got what I want. It's no big deal. What do I care?" And then you watch the prices of Glock magazines go from eleven dollars to one hundred and fifty dollars overnight. And then the people who had stocked up were cashing in. And I think that that's a lot of what's going on with the NFA registry, to be honest with you. Nobody has any incentive to get anything off the NFA registry, especially machine guns, because they've invested so heavily in them as a scarce commodity that they, if, if the rules changed, they would lose their investment. Your $40,000 Thompson suddenly becomes worth... Twelve hundred bucks. Is that how much a Thompson's worth? Twelve hundred bucks. Yeah. Well, a a semi-auto Thompson made by Auto Ordnance is twelve hundred dollars. A full auto Thompson that's on the registry that can't be made anymore is forty thousand. I want a Thompson. So all you have to do is for for that semi-auto to be full auto is make just like two or three small changes to the manufacturing process. It's not going to add anything to the price of manufacturing the semi or manufacturing a full. The only difference in price is because of scarcity. Well, and and you brought up the point a minute ago that you found everything you want. Mm Mm-hmm. But I'm still looking for some stuff for me. I, I want a 1911 of my own. Well, 1911 isn't ever going to get banned. Well, uh, they were talking about all semi-automatic weapons, okay? Yeah, that ain't going to happen. That just isn't going to happen. And I, well, I want to know what part of shall not be infringed. Can they not read? Well, you're getting into issues of constitutional interpretation there that are, are deep and meaningful. Oh, I mean, it if, wasn't, are you talking about the, the same old war out line about... Uh, it wasn't meant for this kind of weapons that we've got today. Well, we could say the same thing about the printing press versus the internet for the First Amendment. I, I think that the the better argument is that the Constitution is a living document, and as society changes, so does the Constitution. And and even Thomas Jefferson said the same thing. He's thought that the Constitution should have to be re ratified every generation. That everybody, when they turned eighteen, instead of registering for Selective Service, would register that they accepted the the social contract that is our constitution and and that it would be flexible to adjust to the changing temperaments of the society and that's something that has to be addressed right yeah 
I mean, because if if you've got the Constitution cannot become a suicide pact, right? I mean, that's the, well, not the reason that we have drafted this thing to lock us rigidly into one value system that can never change. There's got to be some flex as society changes, as new technology emerges, as people grow, as tolerance becomes more or less prevalent. The Constitution has to to be able to adjust to these changes and stand in the gap. In some ways, it has to protect the minority against the majority opinion. In other ways, it has to allow the majority to be the majority, because otherwise, you're going to have a, a fallout of society. I mean, this is what we saw in Rome. This is what happens over time, is that republics disintegrate from inside as disparate forces pull on the the electorate. Yeah, I was sitting there watching TV. I've not been feeling great this week, and... I see a sit-in, and they're not sitting in at a lunch counter because they can't be served. They're were, were you listening to a Simon and Garfunkel song when that was happening? No, I was watching maybe the, replayed by the Disturbed. Democrats in our House of Representatives act like four-year-old children because they didn't get their bills passed and sit with their thumbs in their mouth pouting in the middle of the Senate floor. Well, let's... Uh, There's a certain rep from uh, here in Georgia. John Lewis. I'm going to send him a pacifier in the mail. Okay. The The thing is, is that that has historical context, right? I mean, we're talking about sit-ins in the 60s. And why did they do sit-ins in the 60s? Because they were effective in the 60s, but it's not effective in today's society. We just think they're idiots. Well, it's it's a different... It's a different context between uh, a bunch of if you're teenagers. Not service, we're going to sit here anyway, versus a bunch of grown people who have power. Not, not gr- yeah. That's that's the thing. It's not just grown people. These are these were people. The government. Okay, we're, we're going to talk about the Woolworth sit-in that happened in Greensboro, North Carolina. You're an expert, so I go met for one it. of the gentlemen that was involved in this sit-in when I lived in North Carolina, and he was a, an awesome lion for civil rights, human he, rights. He fought. When it was time to fight. But the reason they set in was because they had no power. The police were get them, were against them. Everyone was against them. They weren't allowed to be served at that lunch counter. The reason they sat there anyway was to prove that you may not serve us, but you're not going to serve anybody else until you do. It was about making power where you had none. We're, we're comparing people that are completely powerless in their situation to people that have power and just want to make a show. But aren't those congressmen whose bills get no vote, who cannot get anything done, who are being ram railroaded by the majority in Congress in that same situation again? No, they're not, because they still have the power of the media. We talk about how the people in the civil civil rights movement had no power. They the, the cameras that were rolling only were rolling to watch the cops beat them. They weren't rolling to hear their side of the story. The cameras are all about hearing the Democrat side of the story here. There is no lack of a soapbox for them to stand on and talk. So, no, they're not powerless. They've got a lot of power. They just want to make a show. And I I don't feel bad for them, especially because it's my rights they're trying to infringe on. Do you believe in the idea of the loyal opposition, that when you are not in power that you are supposed to... As much as you oppose something, except that it's the will of the majority. No. So then how does that play into the way that the Democrats are reacting, that they're in the minority in Congress? They're not the loyal opposition. They're going to make as many waves as they can. They are elected officials, and this time they are the minority. Although 
so they were the majority a few years ago. Which blows my mind, because you had a Democrat president, you had a Democrat Senate, you had a Democrat House, and look at all the gun control that they tried to push through them. They weren't wanting to. The only reason they're doing it now is because it's an election year, and they're trying to appease their populace, if, their constituents. If they had control of the House, the Senate, and the presidency right now, do you think that they would be pushing gun control? Yes, because it's an election year. See, I don't. I believe that if if they had the opportunity right now with the um, shootings that's happened, they would be pushing gun control during this election year. The whole point is to appease their constituency and keep getting those Democratic voters to vote Democrat. The Republicans are doing the same thing. We don't have a real Republican Party anymore. We've got Democrats in Republicans' clothing. The only reason the Republicans are refusing to allow them to push these bills through the Senate is because they've got to appease their Republican voters. Well, I think that it's in a collective show. And I think that if there was a clean sweep Democrat House Senate presidency right now, we would not be talking about gun control because they don't want to pass those bills because it would hurt them in the election. If we had a clean sweep Republican everything, then I think that we wouldn't be trying to repeal anything either. I mean, so you it believe just, the only reason that they're putting them through anyway is because they know the Democrats are going to shoot them down? They, so it appeases yes. both sides. Yes, the exactly. shoot them down to, to appease their side, and the Republicans... Put it up to appease their side, gotcha. and nothing changes, which makes them happy. It keeps power balanced in the way that it is quid in this country. Quo. Quid pro quo. Well, quid pro quo is when you do something for me and I do something for you. They this, kind of are. They, this, I'll do this so you guys can shoot it down. It'll, this, it'll please my people and it'll please your people. This, the, It's not so direct. It's not that they have sat down and discussed this, but that's the way it works. That's the balance of power because the Republicans need this and the Democrats need the opposite, and they're completely equal. They can push both their, their agendas. Both sides win in keeping their power base. It's like riding a seesaw. Yeah. Up and, and down, up and down. Yeah, and and by not, and it doesn't move anywhere, right? It just goes up and down, but it doesn't go anywhere. And that's what they're trying to maintain is that that balance of power between the two parties, so that there nothing can get shifted. And we see all these gun control measures coming out in a time when they cannot be passed, and we see things that when they can be passed not being addressed because they don't want to shift that balance of power. Well, we saw the same thing happen in the Georgia legislature this year with bills that got introduced that didn't make it anywhere. We, I mean, we had bills introduced last year that weren't even mentioned this year, mm-hmm. like Dexter Sharper's training bill, and yep. and we didn't even hear, hear any mention. The ones that we did hear mention of were the ones that Governor Deal wanted to, to make a big deal about. He had shot them down. WABE, you know, he, was talking. He's fixing to join back over to the Democratic Party when he's done. WABE was talking this week about the possibility of, of assault weapons bans in Georgia and how a high-ranking uh, state House official said that there's no chance of them being passed. And, and that's just kind of the, the constant rhetoric. Folks, we're at a commercial break, so we'll be right back. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. 
Welcome back, everybody. So when we took the break, we were talking about gun control measures here in the U.S., but we see that things are happening around the world. I know the president is always saying that this doesn't happen in civilized countries. It but does. But we saw in Germany just yesterday or the day before that there was a gunman in a movie theater, a Holding cinema in, in Wernheim, Germany, and he had taken hostages. Now, the official report is that no one was injured by gunfire except for the attacker. Um, I don't have a lot of details on what all happened in that movie theater. But this was another incident where someone took and in in a country that is practically and and essentially devoid of any firearms rights was able to secure a firearm and then go into a gun free zone and create as much havoc as he could. Uh, I mean, it doesn't since there were no other injuries besides the taking of hostages. There was the an initial report was twenty five were injured, and they may have been injured after the fact after well, the police were could, shooting. They could fall down trying to run out and yeah. trample each other, and it creates a lot of chaos. My point is whether he was trying to kill people or just create mass panic. It was terror to strike uh, fear into the hearts of other people just for this, your own self-amusement. This seems to be much more in, in the mentally disturbed category than terrorism because if he did have a gun and he was in a movie theater and he was able to take 25 hostages, you would think that the, the terror aspect would be to execute at least some of them. The guy was shot by special forces to take him out. Yeah, but they can't react fast enough to keep him from killing somebody. We all know that the police cannot get there fast enough to prevent. So he just wanted a show. He wanted to go out with a bang. And this could be one suicide of those incidents cop. of suicide by cop. Or, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, there's so much anxiety and the media loves to whip up this frenzy every time there's a gun involved. So it's hard to get to the real truth. This does seem to be more mentally disturbed than terrorism because the the goal of terrorism is to promote terror to make people want to change their behavior patterns by causing death and destruction. And that's not what we see here. We see someone who kind of stayed his hand in the incident and it seems much more like suicide by cop to me. So, but there, here's another instance of, you know, the, the, the media drumbeat pulling in that. Well, let's talk about gun control for a second and the fact that nobody in Germany can get a gun, right? That, that's, it's, it's hard. It's so difficult to get a gun. Yet this guy who was obviously psychologically disturbed was able to get his hands on a gun somehow. Mm-hmm. So when you do gun control, you take guns away from honest, sane people and then the only people that can get their hands on them is law enforcement and psychos. When when guns are outlaws, only the outlaws will have guns. It's true. Another you know kind of old platitude we banty about. Uh, one of my friends, um, his wife is from Sweden, and they went to Sweden this last week and sent put some pictures up on Facebook of a gun store in Sweden. Now Sweden is another one of those countries that had a mass shooting a few years ago, had knee jerk reactions. Sweden was a pretty locked down country, a socialist nation before the mass shooting that happened. You remember that one, right? The, on the island. Yeah. Yeah. So that spurred even more gun control in Sweden. So he put out some pictures of a gun store in Sweden that I thought were very interesting. Um, I was showing them to my, my kids this week, too. The, you saw a door with gigantic bars over it and a few shotguns and rifles inside the door. All of the rifles were suppressed. And they, he said that you could look at them through the bars, but you could not go into the room unless you could produce the right licenses to be allowed to look at them. 
So you're allowed to gawk through the window like you can at the zoo, but if you fall into the enclosure without the proper licensing, you're going to go to jail. Yep. And there were there were a couple of bolt actions and a couple of kind of advanced semi-autos that I saw in the pictures, and it wasn't so much that you couldn't get them, it's just that they had made the bar so high that nobody would want to jump through the hoops. It's kind of like putting a trailer in Bartow County. Yeah, it is like putting a trailer in Bartow County. They're even making it to where it's hard to put a house in Bartow County, but that's a story for a different different day. Well, you see government taking the steps that instead of banning something because of the outcry, they will just make it licensed and, and so difficult that it becomes an impossibility for most people. And then you get a de facto ban. I mean, if you go and grab somebody off the street today and say, is it legal to purchase a machine gun in the United States? Almost all of them they will tell, tell you, you no. no. People will tell you no. And when I had this conversation with somebody the other day and they were like, assault weapons are already illegal in America. And I'm like, ah, no. You can get an assault weapon if you can pass the correct background checks, pay for the tax stamp, and and wait forever and afford them. I said, you know, a real machine gun's quite expensive because there's a lack of them. Depends on which ones. There are some bargains out there still. Let's buy buy an Uzi. Let's let's say we're going to buy a fully automatic Uzi. Eight grand. Eight grand, plus your two hundred dollar tax stamp, which is pretty inconsequential compared plus to the eight the grand. Plus the background check you had to submit to and pay for. You know, you had to get fingerprinted and all hey, that. Hey, I'll pay for the tax stamp and the background check if you pay for the gun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My point is that it's it's doable, but your everyday criminal's not going to want to do it because he wants to get his gun tomorrow, not six months from now. The kicker is, is when that $200 went in place. It has not been adjusted for inflation since it went into effect in 1934. When 1934, if you wanted to buy... $200 was a lot of money for somebody in 1934. If you want, in 1934, if you wanted to buy a brand new Colt 1911, it was about 40 bucks. Really? Mm-hmm. In 1934, if you bought a brand new Thompson... It was running you about $120. So if you put that in perspective, you know, a, tom- a fully automatic Thompson now is forty grand, so the tax stamp would be about 86000 Yeah, they, they are not able to do that, I don't think. No, they're not. But that's when they did it, that's what they did. The, most people were not buying uh, Thompsons at the time. They were buying sawed-off shotguns because they were more effective and they wanted them in their home. You, get, you could buy a shotgun for about 4 bucks, 4 to 12 a nice cheap single barrel, no problem, right? But you want to cut off the barrel, you'd have to pay two hundred dollars. That's you know fifty times the price of the gun. So you can cut off the barrel and and pay for a tax stamp on a gun you mm-hmm. already have. Yeah. Okay. I, I kind of wondered that. I wasn't sure. No, I've, I've. That's actually a pretty standard to get to the SBR category. You know, yeah. short barrel rifle, like. If you have an Uzi that's semi-auto and not an SBR, the barrel sticks out 14 inches past where it should, you can just pay for the tax stamp, get it registered that you are manufacturing. This is under a Form 1, not a Form 4. Form 4 is a transfer from me to you. Form 1 is me building it myself. And when I get permission to build it by paying the tax stamp and then it's registered, all I have to do is cut the barrel off, and then it's a short barrel rifle. So just take a hacksaw well, you want to crown it, and there's some <laughs> special tools so that you have some accuracy. But, yeah, with a lot of, like, shotguns, that's the way they were cut off was with a hacksaw because it really didn't matter that much. When you're talking about bird or buckshot at three yards. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I kind of wondered how that worked. So there's – and and the the quintessential case that all of this flowed from revolved around Thompson Center because Thompson Center came out with this idea of a single-shot – 
everything gun, right? So it was a break open. You push a button. The, the barrel pops up. You put in one round. You click it closed, just like a, a break action shotgun, and you get one shot. And they would have interchangeable barrels with the receiver and interchangeable stocks. So you could put on a 4-inch barrel and a pistol grip, or you could put on a 16-inch barrel and a stock, and you could have a rifle, or you could have a pistol out of the same gun. The problem was is that some people then got the bright idea, well, what if I want to put a 4-inch barrel with a stock on it? And ATF flipped out, and they were like, no, you can't do that. That's a short-barreled rifle. So they went to court, and what ATF was saying is if it has the capacity to be turned into a short-barrel rifle, then it is a short-barrel rifle from its beginning, and you have to register it. Well, the, yeah, that would be every shotgun in the world. Everything could possibly be turned into a short barreled. That's anything. a little bit reaching out there, ATF. Well, the Supreme Court came back and said, no, here's the rule. If it started out as a handgun, then it is always a handgun. If it started out as a rifle, it's always a rifle. If it started out as neither, then whatever it's first made into, it is. So you can have you can have a, a handgun that you can turn into a rifle and turn back into a handgun, but you can't make it into a short barrel rifle by switching parts around unless you do it illegally, which is actually putting those two parts together. You can't get to constructive possession necessarily by just owning a gun that could be turned into a short barrel rifle. So that opened up the door for AR-15s across the world because AR-15s, you only have to pull two pins to switch them. That opened up the door for all the tops and center line and their encores and their hunters to be able to be marketed with all the pieces and it really was a refining of, of a, an age-old doctrine you know I'm, I'm sitting here i watch tv and i see this assault rifle they go oh assault weapons assault assault weapons and then i was watching netflix the other day and, and the show i was watching somebody was working at walmart in the show, it was a you know generic Walmart shop. S smart, it's smart, right? And she says, "Enjoy your assault rifle." They walked by and it said AR fifteen assault rifle on the box. I was like, I have never seen a box of, with an AR fifteen in it that said that it was an assault rifle. That's baloney. Well, back back in the day, Colt had two labels. They had blue label guns that were law enforcement only, and they would mark the side of the gun for law enforcement only. But it didn't say assault rifle on it. No. I said even Hollywood is feeding into the mass fear, the the want to be scared of something that's not really that scary. Even Hollywood? I think Hollywood is the, the, the grand master orchestrator. They're, they're, they are the, the ma- main puppeteer. You're right. I mean, Coming up on a commercial break here. Uh, stay, stay tuned. We're going to keep up with this discussion when we get back from this word from our sponsors. And now back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. We're going to talk about the the Sturmgewehr 44 now, the original assault weapon that was developed in Germany in 1943. No, and the reason the first word the Sturmgewehr. And the idea behind it was that they would have an intermediate cartridge that would be full auto fire to be allowing infantry to be able to carry a, a whole squad with them. Now, remember that in 1941, 42, 43, Germany's main weapon was a bolt action Mauser that held five rounds. 
So as the German infantry would go into to battle, you would be dealing with having to reload from stripper clips on the top. You'd insert the clip into the top of the gun, push down, and you'd have five more rounds. Every time that you wanted to take a shot, you had to work the bolt and then depress the trigger. In light of that, you look over to what the Americans were doing, and the Americans had grants. Here you have an eight-shot rifle that all you don't have to work the bolt at all. All you have to do is pull the trigger. So the rate of fire was much higher, higher without having to take the rifle off of your shoulder in between shots. It was um, much more rapidly deployable and gave a, an advantage to American troops. Now, the Russians were using Mosin Nagant um, 9130 rifles, which were, again, a bolt-action, five-shot clip, uh, loosely based off of a Mauser, but not using a different bolt-action that was a lot simpler to, to use and had fewer safety features and cheaper to machine. So the two main uh, forces were using bolt actions. The Americans were coming in with a semi-automatic. Now, the Germans looked at the fire advantage of a semi-automatic and started working on what do we really need? Most fighting at that time was not taking place at a thousand yards. The .30-06 cartridge and the 8mm Mauser cartridge were designed to be able to kill somebody through body armor at a thousand yards. You're supposed to be able to penetrate a steel helmet at 600 yards for the round to be effective. But fighting was not taking place at 600 yards or 1,000 yards. Fighting was taking place door-to-door, street-to-street at 20 yards at maximum. So why do you need a cartridge that's going to go through a person cleanly and through a wall behind them in those sort of distances? So, so you can penetrate one person and hit the next? Yeah, well, it doesn't really work that way in real life. So the Germans started looking at intermediate cartridges that could have a higher magazine capacity. So they came up with a shorter cartridge cartridge that was still, I think it was still eight millimeter, I'm not sure, but it was a much shorter cartridge that was intermediate and it was designed to be most effective between a hundred and three hundred yards. So this is in realistic fighting distances. Also it allowed a magazine to be inserted that would hold twenty to thirty rounds instead of holding four or twelve max, right? So this cartridge was loaded into a weapon that was a um I, I I'm stretching here. I didn't prep for this, but I believe it was a rolling block lock design because that's what the Germans tend to, to stick with, and they have for years. So I'm thinking that this is where it came from. But it allowed for full automatic fire, and it was in a compact package that only weighed about 9 to 12 pounds so that a single infantryman could carry it around and increase their their force multiplication. Now, the downside to the Stromgewehr was that, which is Stromgewehr means assault Rifle. Um, really? Mm-hmm. This is where the word comes from. <laughs> right. So the downside of the Stromgewehr was that um, it was new. It did not look like a real battle rifle. And the higher-ups in the German military, particularly Adolf Hitler, said that it was a gimmick, it was a contraption, and it was not to be deployed to front lines. Had it been, the battle for Berlin may have gone very differently especially facing off against mainly Russian troops that were using the old Mosin Nagants. You've seen a Mosin Nagant. You know how antiquated. I mean that I the reason a Do you you know why the the Mosin Nagants called the 9130? Yeah. It was developed in 1891. Really? Yeah, so 1944, the Russians were using a gun that was designed in 1891. Can you imagine what would happen? That would be the equivalent of taking a time machine back and giving General Lee AK47s. No kidding. So basically, because of a bad call on Hitler's part. The project was mothballed. But let me tell you who did not think that this was such a bad idea. America. Joseph Stalin. 
Oh, Stalin. Wow. He looked at that and said, this is a great idea. Now, the the story is, is that a young tanker who was injured in 1943 was sent to recuperate in the hospital. And being a mechanical genius, he decided to take and, and increase create a new weapon that would help the Soviet army be able to stand up against imperialistic aggression. And working in his hospital bed, he came up with this plan and then he went to a the armory in Ishevsk and would work with a team of good communist workers who came up with this brilliant design and in 1947, it was implemented and adopted across the entire Soviet Union as their main battle rifle, the Atovmat Kalashnikova of 1947. So the AK-47. Does it have a bullet button where you can put a bullet in and make it fully well, automatic in, like the Democrats think? Maybe in California it does, but... And then it went through many revisions, and it had a whole bunch of design characteristics that changed over the time between the AK-47, uh, eventually the AK-74, and then the AKM. But the AK platform is the most prolific assault weapon in in the world. Um, I believe that uh, uh, Kalashnikov actually took a Stromgewehr and back-engineered it. Um, I think a lot of people see... Tremendous similarities between the intermediate cartridge developed by Germany and the 762 by 39 cartridge developed by Russia. They both are tapered cartridges. They both are a 30 caliber cartridge. They both are intermediate cartridges best between one and 300 yards. They both have lighter recoil than a main battle rifle cartridge. The Americans just went haywire. Okay. When this is going on, this is revolutionary. The world is changing and everyone's realizing that this intermediate cartridge in a fully automatic select fire assault rifle allowing for uh, a complete diversification of troop movement was was sweeping the country. And you know what America does, Jesse? America goes and takes the Garand and sticks a bigger magazine in it and makes it full auto in thirty out six. In thirty out six? Yeah. Yikes. Yeah, full auto. And so then all of our NATO allies go, what on earth are you people doing? Have you even tried to fire this thing? You know, we're, we're Belgians over here. We're averaging, the average man is 120 pounds and five foot six. And you've got a gun here that is about five foot six on its own and weighs about 12 pounds and it fires full auto into the air. We can't even control the thing. What are you people doing? And the Americans said, well, okay, we're going to redesign the cartridge. Yay, right? So we can finally get an intermediate cartridge. And Belgium goes, Belgium goes nuts. They've got the perfect idea. The Fabrique National Plant is going to create the best battle rifle around an intermediate cartridge they could ever come up with. And they developed the Fusile Automatique Liege. I'm I'm horrible with with FS. FAL. Oh. And it is perfection incarnate. It is a larger rifle than the AK, unfortunately, but it has almost no recoil. It has a, a gas-operated piston system that is reliable and clean. It is adjustable gas system, so even if it gets dirty, you can tune it up so that it'll keep running in the field. It is genius, and it runs off an intermediate cartridge. So America, looking at what Belgium's doing, goes, we don't want an intermediate cartridge. If they won't take the .30-06, here's what we'll do. We'll take that .30-06, and we'll shorten it by like a sixteenth of an inch and call it a .308, and that's what we're going to make everyone use. And America forced the .308 cartridge, also called the 762 by 51 onto NATO. And Belgians looking at their rifle and going, well, we just spent millions and a couple of years developing this. Do you think you can make a .308 fit? 
And FN goes, uh, yeah, yeah sure. maybe <laughs> it might blow up, but we'll try. And they tried it, and it was the absolute edge of the design envelope, but it didn't blow up. And it became the right arm of the free world. Now, the FAL is a battle rifle. It's not an assault rifle because the cartridge is too heavy to be able to maintain sustained fully automatic fire. The Israelis adopted it in order to keep it working as a fully automatic rifle. Isn't this the gun that they water-cooled it? No. 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 But what they did is they put everyone had a bipod. Because the only way that you can control in full auto is if you put a bipod on it, stick it in the ground with sticks, and sand on top of it. Because it's going to rise on you like, like you wouldn't believe. This thing kicks like you wouldn't believe. It's like a, no, a mule. No, no. It's, it's amazing. The, the operating system absorbs all the recoil for the end user. But it still has muzzle climb. You're never going to get away from that. So, here you have the two schools of thought. You have the Russians, and by extension the Germans, in East Germany, moving towards intermediate cartridges that can be carried around and fired fully automatic and sustainably fully automatic. You have America moving towards the giant battle rifles that can penetrate steel targets at a thousand yards with, with um, precision fire. And those are the two camps, okay? So when we talk about assault rifles, what are we talking about? A mix of two different schools of thought. We're talking about the the Russian, East German way of thinking about having being able to do fully automatic fire from a single person and have it be sustainable. You can hold that trigger down. You can kick out the magazine. We're talking about fully automatic. That's the whole idea of assault rifle. That is the idea. So when we talk about an AR-15 and people. well, let's they talk about the AR-15. AR, AR is about Armalite. Yeah, let's talk about the AR-15. Because the, the M14, the 308 Grand that they came up with that was full auto, that nobody in their right mind could use, gave birth to the AR-15. Because there was a man named Eugene Stoner. And Eugene Stoner was looking at what Kalishnikov was doing in the East and said, we've got it all wrong, guys. This is insane. Why are we having massive amounts of recoil that no one can control at distances we don't need? We can do something lighter. We can do something incredible lighter with no recoil at all much less recoil than an AK has because remember an AK is a 30 caliber bullet that's moving pretty hard yeah. he went to a 22 he developed an entire rifle around a 22 the 22 with bottleneck with more powder behind it that kicks a little further than a normal 22 LR, but nothing like anything else. It is recoilless. That was the entire design. And it did not have a bolt uh, piston operating system. It worked off of gases. Folks, we'll be right back. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. So we were talking about the development of the AR-15 and how it differed. The AR was a twenty-two caliber rifle, and instead of using a gas piston, which had fouling going, you know, and getting up in there and having the short stroke going back and forth, it used only gas. And he, uh, Stoner developed a whole brand new rifle around these these new powders that were being developed from um, IMR. IMR had come up with a powder that was residue free. And it allowed for thousands of rounds to be cycled through a firearm without having any powder residue build up. So he built a gas system that had no intermediate parts. It pushed the gas, this clean burning gas from IMR would go up through the tube back and unlock the bolt, allowing for full auto fire with no recoil, with bullets that weighed half as much as an AK-47's bullet, which meant that you could carry more in your magazines without having to worry about weight. 
So you've got even higher amounts of ammunition. You have lower recoil, more to bounce on target uh, without having the moving gas bolt, and you have a higher cyclic rate. You have the ability to cool the barrel because instead of having wood around it, it is completely free-floating with gas with uh, plastic handguards that allow air to move up and down over the barrel all the time to cool it. This is the pinnacle of what an assault rifle is. It allows one person to be able to have sustained full automatic fire on target, downrange, at effective distances with large amounts of ammunition for one person to be able to use. This is an assault rifle. We finally have reached like what it really is. And in order for it to, to fill that role, it must be fully automatic. Now, the government was the one who was procuring these weapons, even though Armalite was a private company and they were intended for civilian sale as well. The government's issue was, our troops are going to waste ammo. And so the government asked them to make it with a 20-round magazine, not a 30-round magazine like the AK had. Also, when the government procured the AR-15, Jess, they, instead of using the IMR, IMR powders, that which was specifically designed to work for the gun, they went back to using Winchester ball powders because they had that in stock. And the ball powders created a high residue factor, which gummed up the gas system and caused the rifles to quit working in the field. So they decided to... to make their own little tweaks to it and ruined it yeah exactly the government always knows what's best for you well they know what's cheapest and what they have in stock and it was it was a disaster when they were first fielded in vietnam it was an absolute disaster and there was some talk that the people who were running the army ordnance department did that on purpose to to tank the program because they wanted to go back to the m14 platform but can you imagine the our our allies in south vietnam trying to wield an m14 (laughs) that's funny yeah so there, there is the developmental history of what an assault rifle is. An assault rifle is a fully automatic weapon with a, a small caliber, high velocity cartridge that allows one person to be able to uh, have a force multiplier and have sustainable full auto fire. Okay, AR-15s so are not assault rifles. It'll never be an assault rifle because you can't take an AR-15, switch a, flip a switch, and it turn it into a fully automatic rifle. Correct. And that's what the media misportrays. I would I would not say they don't get it. I think they do get it. I think it's a, a purposeful misportrayal of, of what these weapons are to instill fear into United States citizens. So my theory is the real terrorists we deal with is CNN and MSN and CBS and our news affiliates that purposefully strike fear in the hearts of Americans. I would like to also apologize if I mispronounced anything in my my little rant. I, w- I did not prepare to do that today, so I was working completely off memory with maybe Dad, not as much German sleep. and Russian isn't as shiny as it used to be. Yeah, either. for sure. <laughs> so, Jess, would you mind giving us the, the spiel on how to become a member? I wouldn't. Um, to become a member of GeorgiaCarry.org, you can go to GeorgiaCarry.org, click on membership and pay online. I believe there's also an option there where you can click and, and mail in a check if you don't want to put your credit card numbers online. You can also visit any of our local chapter meetings, and there's one of those. If you if you look around, there's one of those about every weekend. Next weekend, there's a gun show in Cartersville. I will be there, and you need to come see me. Absolutely. I see you every day. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about my larger audience, my yeah. fans, all those you, people you have fans? who... Yes. Other than the ceiling fan in the bedroom, you fans. Yeah. Wow. Okay. We'll I'm, see. There, there. I'm. I think that there's a fan club forming on Facebook too. Uh-huh. Yeah. We'll see. I know your fan club is sitting here in the studio today. We have Doug's kids, John and Liz, in the studio today, and they have been quiet as two little mice. Good kids sitting here coloring. 
Best kids. It's summertime. But to become a member, you can also go to any of the gun shows and sign up. We usually have a, a table set up at the gun shows and local festivals. You know, John was the youngest member of Georgia Carey ever. Yeah, because he was, he was a member when he was, what, three minutes old or whatever? Roughly, yes. Yeah. There, there are he's eight now there are members who are younger than him but, but there was, was none the first youngest he is the youngest ever and probably will forever be the youngest to ever join i think right now the the smallest georgia carry member is probably james camp's son Agrol. probably that's not the baby's name that's just what i see him <laughs> calling him. it's xander isn't it yeah yeah but i see Agrol and, and it sticks with me um you know Membership with Georgia Carey has all kinds of perks. I've made a lot of good friends. And and wonderful enemies, too. Frenemies. We're out for the same thing. You know, I have noticed that since I've been a member of GeorgiaCarey.org, my block list on Facebook has tripled. Mm -hmm. And that's because I get people like that idiot that carried the gun into the um, airport down here Mm -hmm. who want to talk smack, and I, I just don't deal with it, so block them. But uh, to become a member, it's very easy. You can go to anywhere that GeorgiaCarry.org is set up at a table and sign up. Um, if you are listening to us online... Don't. Don't. You can listen to us on your local radio station. All you have to do is call up your local radio station, tell them you listen to GeorgiaCarry.org radio, and that you want to hear us on your local station. Put us in touch with whoever you spoke with. And we will reach out to them and see about syndication and try to get on your local radio station. What else do we have this this morning? Well, um, it's been it's been real busy around here with everything going on, um, gun shows and a lot of politics in the summer. I mean, we've got uh, runoffs coming up in a short order. Things that you need to be involved in. I mean, look at Cobb County. Their commissioner is so scared that he's actually giving people 50 bucks to go vote for him. Yeah, I saw that in the news yesterday. Um, Tim Gravy Train Lee is trying to give people a $50 reduction on their property taxes this year. Just right now, right before the runoff election, because he's trying to buy votes. Yeah, I mean, it's it's impressive what goes on in politics. And we need to be cognizant of what's going on. We need to be aware of the games that people play. We need to be active. We need to take control. And we need to be in in uh, an active member in what takes to, to make changes in our country. And, you know, one of the things I do to be active is I talk to people about GeorgiaCarry.org. Um, yeah, even when you're being wheeled into emergency into surgery. surgery. I was talking to the, the lady who was wheeling me into surgery about GeorgiaCarry.org. She was a member of the NRA and had no idea that Georgia Carry even existed. And so it's important to, to speak with other people about it and, and, and get them to join into this great cause of, of trying to earn our rights back. It's and, time to fight. Them. It's time to fight. We're we're this is it's gone to the point where it's ridiculousness and the the debate is not going well. I mean, you've got California saying that there's no constitutional right to carry a, a handgun in public, um, and that's that's a what tenth circuit court of appeals decision. So 
you know, there's going to be more and more. The, the Supreme Court has got a vacancy. The next president, hopefully Trump, is going to nominate somebody who is going to be, uh, you know, in the balance and, and changing the dynamic of the I court. I hope that somebody is nominated that is a fighter for the Second Amendment. We need a new Scalia. Scalia was what we needed. And I, I wish the entire court had been Scalia over and over again because he was a genius and he was perfect. But, you know, it, it that's what we need. And we need someone who will get in there and put that kind of fighter in place. We need to have an effort to get a a president in place who will do this. Folks, we're coming up to the end of the show. I hope that you enjoyed it. We'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. This has been GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8 on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town.